Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Welcome, all you fine folks, to another episode of Because Money. Today, as always, is a special treat. We have um, former host... (laughs) Kyle Prevost coming back at us. So now you guys get to see what you've been missing all this time dealing with me. Um, Kyle Prevost doesn't have his lower third, so just in case you've forgotten, he is the wonderful blogger at youngandthrifty.com and also an educator and like a thousand other things. You might have found him all over the place. He's basically on the internet in all kinds, all the internet places, right? That's the kind of thing we say, Sandy, right? <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. He's so also Kyle before John is the co-author of More Money for Beer and Textbooks. And the co-author of, money for, of More Money for Beer and Textbooks, which is something that we all want. And um, yeah, we could just keep listing things. That could be the episode. But uh, the, <laughs> Kyle's like, bring it on. Just keep listing things, you know. Um, but to catch all our our fans up on where you've been for the last a while after, after leaving because money, like what's, I know it doesn't feel like summer anymore, but like what was your summer fall? Like, what are you staying busy with? Nothing, right? Just free time all over the place. First of all, I just missed the because money uh, audience and, and most of all my, uh, my show colleagues. So I just like to say a big hello to everyone. Uh, not like we haven't seen each other recently, but it's nice to be uh, together again here. Uh, yeah, I, I went to a Buddhist uh, temple and was quiet for 15 days. Anyone who knows me knows that there's no chance that could be possible. Uh, so instead, I, I have just ranted and raved um, through a variety of topics. And I've arrived out the other end to talk calmly and rationally about personal finance in the world of education today. So for those uh, of you listening to the audio version of the podcast, you didn't see his eye twitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's his ranty eye. <laughs> Which we hope to to just like try to encourage to twitch a few more times because like Kyle we we love you common rational and we we love you a little ranty so whatever person you want to be today you can be that person um, but you're right we're gonna talk about financial literacy and education today um, as we're recording this it's November which is financial literacy month in Canada. For better or for worse it's been something we've been talking about a lot and so we before we start diving into the topic. I wanted to play a little game because, uh, as you might know, Kyle, I like to turn pretty much everything into a game, including personal finance, which is a bit of a tough order sometimes. But I prepared five questions that I took from uh, a recent financial literacy survey to have a little bit of guessing between the two of you and see um, who can get the most points. There's a few bonus points as well. So let's see how you guys do, okay? You ready? Okay, so question number one. Based on, I believe the survey was um, an international survey, so it's Canada included with our international colleagues of adult financial literacy. Um, Canada ranks in which place out of all the 29 nations compared in adult financial literacy? Do we just Uh, yell it? Yell it. Just, Just put in your guesses. I would say rationally and calmly, as Kyle uh, I'll take I'll take a guess. I'll say we're not the worst. Okay. I'll say we're uh, 23rd. All right. Skeptical, but believing in Canada that they're okay. Mm-hmm. Sandy? I would like to say 17. 17. Mm-hmm. So closest goes to Sandy. One of the questions that you may have wanted to ask as a follow-up is which 29 countries are we talking about? Um, there's some fun ones in there. 
Ghana? It's not all of the biggest countries. So the U.S. is not involved in this survey, just so you know. Canada actually ranked third. Third. I third. feel like I feel like seventeenth is far enough away to say that I did not get any points for that. Yeah, the truth is, is that neither of you get points. But for Zero a bonus points. point, who, which country placed first? I'll say Denmark or Finland. They're at the top of everything, so that's my guess. Very good, Sandy. Ghana. <laughs> I've decided. Ghana, you've got the right idea for the countries on this list. Finland was second, so I'm going to give Kyle half a point because the points really don't matter. Um, first place was France. Yeah, so this is fun. Flawed. This is a. Have, have you looked at the budget of anything in France? This is a flawed. Like they're too busy out picketing to do anything with personal finance. But anyway, apparently okay, they disagree. They disagree. So um, the fr you'll also love this statement, which I really appreciated from the survey. They said that financial confidence boosts good financial decisions. So that's something. So this question about financial confidence, saying what percentage of Canadians um, feel that their financial knowledge is high, would rate their own financial knowledge as high to very high? Oh, well, that's going to be pretty high, because if you ask like how many people are an above average driver, it's everyone. Yeah. Uh, I'll say uh, 65%. 65%. Sandy? 66%. Oh, you did the, the plus Canadians, one. Canadians are self-deprecating people. We're at 28%. So we don't think we know anything, but we actually know more than Kyle and Sandy think we do. This is a disturbing uh, survey here. I feel like my this whole is... world has been shaken. <laughs> what an excellent place to start with conversation. So uh, question number three, what percent of Canadians have a household budget? You start first this time, Sandy. Oh, for the love. And um, remember, this is, this is what they're saying. They have a household budget. It's not like we're going into houses and oh, saying that's a budget. I feel like you're cluing this pretty hard. I'm just, okay. I'm just saying that, remember, people are answering these questions. Right. People. Yeah, people lie on these sort of things. So. 81. 81% of Canadians say that they have a household budget. Okay. I'll stay with 65. It's 63. So I give oh, a hard, solid the, point to Kyle. That is the hardest and solidest point you can get, really. I have a bonus question written down, but I didn't write the answer down for it. So <laughs> we're going to skip that bonus question. Um, fourth question. What percentage of Canadians feel that they are making ends meet? Oh, I don't know, making ends meet, uh, 82. Sandy? 17. I have no, I'm just going to say random numbers now. <laughs> Fair enough. It's actually a lot closer to yours, Sandy. It's 32% of Canadians. I, I, I don't like understand. They're, this. They're, how how would define themselves <laughs> as making ends meet. It's interesting. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting set of statistics that may or may not mean anything. Was the person um, asking them the questions about to hand them money, depending on how they answered? I, I, I don't think so. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Look, guys, to finish this out, we've got um, what percentage of Canadians hold product? Hold a what? A credit product. Oh, for oh. heaven's sake. Like a product. Yeah. It's got to be. I was going to say, it's got to be 92%. It's 85%, which is actually a little lower than I thought it would be. Um, I guess there's some people but, that probably have never made enough money to, to qualify for a single credit product, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, there might, be, there might be a few people on the fringe. And for the ending bonus, 
that uh, that ranks Canada second on this list out of 20, 29 countries. What country is higher than Canada for uh, for citizens that hold a um, hold a credit product? Bulgaria. <laughs> yeah, France. Hates France. France. France is the answer. Oh, actually, strangely, it's New Zealand. Yeah, Our friendly, know. wonderful folks in New Zealand. So. Those stats may or may not mean anything, but I think one thing that people generally agree in Canada is that financial literacy is a, a big issue. It seems to be one of the only things that everybody in the financial industry can kind of agree on is that people need to know more about money so that they can make better choices. That's the part that people agree on. The part that people really, really disagree on is how that's supposed to happen. And one of the big things that you see happening all the time is people talking about, oh, they should really teach this stuff in schools. I can't tell you how many times, I'm sure all of us have heard that, but like people say that to me all the time. Whenever they find out that I mentioned, oh, they should really teach that stuff in schools. And they don't, except for one man. I only know one person who actually is teaching this in schools, and that's Kyle, who is a high school teacher and managed to somehow get a personal finance course into the curriculum, and he's been teaching it for a few years now, and so that's one of the big things we're going to talk about today, the idea of uh, financial education and putting it in schools and how it actually works, not theoretically, not we should really do that. Kyle's doing it. And and the first thing, Kyle, that I'd love to have you talk about is just how did it happen? You know, people always talk about like it, uh, talk about it like it would be simple. So was it simple? Did you just kind of go to your principal and say, this is what I want to do? And they just were like, yes, do it. Uh, nope, it was not nearly that simple. Um, <laughs> Basically, uh, in order to, for a course to get accredited across Canada, it has to be approved by your provincial ministry, uh, is my understanding. However, in Manitoba, and I know in a few other provinces, they have some version of what we call a school-initiated credit, which means you can propose a credit for one year. Uh, you have to propose the curriculum alongside it, and it can be approved or disapproved on a one-year basis. And if you want to teach it again the next year, you have to reapply. Uh, okay. I knew that there had been a couple of school divisions that had luck getting it approved in Saskatchewan. And there had been one that had got it approved in um, Manitoba, but was no longer teaching it. And these were all different variations. When I tried to get it approved the first time, I was told that no, the math teachers were teaching it, <laughs> which is about a three quarters of an hour conversation on why they were wrong. Uh, and so then I actually, so I said, well, if I make a different course and I, and I make it different from what is, quote unquote taught in the math curriculum. Can I teach that? And they said, well, let us see. So I called a course uh, wealth management um, and investment perspectives or something like that. Ooh, and uh, yeah, I, I made it sound exotic and I created a curriculum that was basically just full of acronyms and didn't really mean anything. And then it got approved actually. So, <laughs> so then uh, I, I proceeded to teach what I want. Um, because I was the only person in Canada or with this specific curriculum, so I didn't really see how anyone was going to criticize me. And, uh, and then eventually that evolved into a few more folks teaching personal finance and getting in, and it just came up that our curriculum, our business curriculum in the province was up for review, and we have managed to, as of next September, uh, there will be a personal finance elective that is standard across Manitoba, and the wording will be substantially different than the curriculum I've been using. Uh, but regardless, there will be a course that you can take that will be 110 hours uh, anywhere in Manitoba can teach it. 
They don't have to, it's not mandatory, but I believe we'll be the first province to offer such a course. Well done. That's, seriously, yeah. that's really that's really cool. It's so, been an adventure. So what is the course? I mean, I mean, we can't go through all 110 hours, but what does the curriculum yeah. look like? Uh, well, the actual curriculum is still being worked on. I've been sworn to secrecy. Uh, truth be told, we have to make it somewhat different from the math curriculum because those math teachers are still bound and determined that they are teaching personal finance uh, as well as a lot of other uh, pieces of certain courses. But the one I've been teaching and the uh, actual course material that I will continue to teach until they come out to my small little town and tell me differently uh, is basically um, it's it's an all-in. I mean, we, we do a couple days of budgeting. Uh, I, I think people, it's funny because parents that say, why don't they teach us in schools? The first two things are budgeting and balancing a checkbook, to which I have to explain, like, both of those things are now done on your phone, actually. So, <laughs> and they're like, no, they're not. Teach them about money. And I'm like, they don't have a checkbook. Like, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. And <laughs> conversation, it illustrates some of the difficulties we actually have in bringing everyone on the same page. So my, my curriculum has everything from like our RSP to TFSA. We get into, uh, we actually use uh, a great resource by Mr. Robertson there, Dr. Robertson. And, uh, and so we actually use the value of simple along with uh, some of the other books. We look at some Ted talks by guys like Preet Banerjee. Um, we do some consumer protection stuff and look at some marketplace episodes and uh, yeah, we do, we do, uh, and, then, and then what I like to do is some, I was introduced to a concept called case studies, which if you did business, uh, post-secondary education is like old hat to you, but to me it was new and exciting. And so we actually go through and apply all the different things we've learned to a real life scenario um, that is fairly lengthy. And, and when I gave the same scenario to my master's course, a master's of education course I was in for one of my classes, uh, they, I think there was maybe one or two students that had any idea what was going on at all. Hmm. And that was actually my student's final exam of the case that I gave. So it's, it is fairly comprehensive, I think. That's like, that's really, really interesting. And it's, I don't know, I, what do, what do the kids think of it? You know, what, what do high school students, uh, do they engage with it? Or is it, is it like, like any normal class, you get some people that love it and some people that kind of tune out it, What's it like? What, what, what's the response been like? Uh, truth be told, uh, the ones that come to my class are self-selecting because it is an elective course. And they know generally uh, that, that I'm a bad guy, that I do tend to expect a lot and that I will ask a lot of them and I'll penalize them and do all kinds of mean things if they don't do the work. Hmm. So if they show up generally, um, they, 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 they already are predisposed to learning. Yeah. Now, that being said, once they get in there, uh, I generally don't have too much trouble keeping them interested. I do things kind of backwards of how a lot of people would design a course. A lot of people, you'd think the stereotypical course would be okay. Maybe start with some background economics and the concept of money and yeah. then get into uh, maybe budgeting and then maybe looking at like how to buy a car. I just start first day. Um, my first lesson is uh, how you should become addicted to investing. And, and it's if you took a pack of cigarettes, because the concept of putting a few hundred dollars in the bank every month is irrelevant and abstract. And they know nobody with a million dollars. Most of my students know nobody. Maybe a few farmers have a net worth of a million dollars, but yeah. they, they think of themselves as quite poor because they never have any cash in the bank. So they don't know any uh, liquid millionaires. And so, but, but they do know lots of people that smoke cigarettes. And so we look at how systemic saving, if you put in even a half pack of cigarettes, the equivalent of a half pack of cigarettes a day, if you were addicted, uh, and then we, we, we use like an 8% uh, 
um, you know, uh, not a real interest. I, I, I just, I, I sort of, um, I back end load the example a little bit. So I don't explain the, the, the concept of inflation yet because uh, I want them to get excited as they see the numbers tick upward. And uh, yeah, we show them how in, you know, 35, 40, 45 years, um, your, your numbers add up pretty quickly. And from there, we, I tend to try and, um, and front load the course a little bit in terms of uh, the density, which is in, investing is probably the most dense part of the course and the most uh, sometimes heavy or abstract. So we, I actually tackle investing first and I try to put the carrot on the, on the end of the stick and just say like, well, we're going to talk about budgeting, but here's why budgeting matters because you can be super comfortable and you can live an awesome life. And uh, here's where it, why you want to get that initial, initial small pot of gold because uh, that big pot of gold can be there for you. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a retirement. It can be, um, you know, traveling as, as you get, as you go through. And, and then we talk about, you know, lifestyle trade-offs and that. But anyway, so that's how we do it. And when we go from there. That's, that's a really fun way to start. And you're, you're right. Oh, you're a smart man, Kyle. You're a smart man. Uh, my what students are the... beg to differ many days, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, every high school teacher deserves some kind of a medal. Every one of them, just for just showing up. I guess the show up shouldn't get a medal. Anyways, participation. Oh, what are um? Have you gotten any kind of questions that have stuck in your head? Questions from from them that that uh, you wouldn't have expected? Uh, you know, not too many questions from them. Like they're pretty, they're pretty keen, and and uh, the students rarely shock me anymore, just with what they know or don't know. But I have gotten many questions from parents that are shocking to me, because uh, oftentimes when I teach about investing and we look at stock markets and stuff, and I sometimes hold controversial uh, positions, such as. Um, you know, you shouldn't be purchasing a house in a major urban city. Uh, you should probably be investing in the stock market instead. And then parents come in and go berserk and say, but everyone lost all their money in the stock crash. And I'm like, well, no, that's not true. Like, and so we explain how shares work. And if you would have owned these shares and hung on to these shares, these shares would now be worth X. And of course, you know, depending whether you're using the Canadian or American market as your, your reference point, they've doubled or tripled since 2008. And uh, so I tell them that, and then the parents say, no, they haven't. And I, so then I actually have a file full of articles, <laughs> newspaper articles in my desk that I, I then pull out and say, well, the Globe and Mail says they did, and the National Post says they did. Are you sure that you want to stick with the theory that stocks have not doubled or tripled since 2008? And we go back and forth like that. And actually, perversely enough, uh, it's the people that think they know money who would have identified themselves as knowing about money in that survey that ask the worst questions mm -hmm. because they actually know the acronyms to use, but they just have no idea what yeah. they mean. So they'll say yeah. stuff like, well, I've been, I've been buying RRSPs for 20 years now. My advisor takes care of me. I know I'll have a good retirement. And then I'm like, well, you know, you should really talk to that advisor of yours. And they're like, well, it's my cousin. So everything will be good. <laughs> Small and, <laughs> yeah. and so uh, that's always awkward. And so that's probably the most awkward it's been actually is my, is my interactions with adults. Man. So has it changed though? Like over time you've been teaching this in your like distinct Kyle way, but has your distinct Kyle way changed since you started teaching kids? Uh, I think, yeah, it's adapted. I don't think uh, my general um, demeanor has changed all that much. Um, but uh the, the three years ago I got invited when I when I wrote uh, a book and put a beer on the cover the crazy people of a conference invited me to speak to some students and uh, that conference changed a lot of the way I want to teach this stuff it doesn't really do anyone 
a lot of good to memorize what an RSP is. Um, I mean, it's a good, it's a good start to have an idea of what it is, but yeah, if it doesn't really have a tangible impact on your life, you often forget, but what you won't forget is if you've done a scenario and you've had to apply an RSP versus the TFSA for a made up character named John who was about to go to university or who just graduated from university and had X number of savings and had some credit card debt and a loan. And if you worked your way through that whole problem, uh, now you're a lot less likely to forget what an RSP is and it's going to stick with you and it's actually of quite a lot more value. I mean, if you've taught anything, you know that sort of memorizing is the bottom, the bottom part of that pyramid, right? And then ideally you want to work your way up into critical thinking and, and inquiry and coming to your own conclusions about stuff and asking intelligent questions. And so using a case study model and yeah. uh, having students compete against one another for prizes um, and, and having to explain their thoughts as opposed to just memorizing a textbook, uh, is, is probably how, how I've adapted it the most, I would say. Yeah. That's, you're completely right. It's just it's teaching people to basically be financial problem solvers, which is what you need to be as just yeah. a, a healthy financial adult. It's not about knowing all the words. There's lots of people that know all the words and actually know what the acronyms stand for that using them in a way that's helping them. It's not about correct. It's not about not correct. It's about, right. it's not, what you say you want and how you're using these things and teaching. Yeah, completely teaching people critical, critical thinking and, and that kind of application is, it's really, really cool. So how do other people do it? I, I didn't realize that Manitoba was kind of going, going province wide, which is so exciting. We'll pick up the curriculum and hopefully teachers will keep on um, curriculum. will really engage with it. But if people are sitting around listening in, in, Alberta or BC or out on the East Coast or even Ontario, maybe. I don't even know if there's people there. But um, <laughs> uh, how can you start the ball rolling, you know, in your own kind of community, in your own school, if you're a teacher or if you're just a parent that wants to try to encourage this to be taught? Do you have any suggestions or tips for them? Uh, well, I think first and foremost, you probably, if you're like most Canadians, have to make sure you have a, a firm grounding in in um, in personal finance or financial literacy before you start trying to teach it. Um, but that's a great first step. If you're a parent, I I uh, if I were a parent, I'd be teaching it because I don't. I think it's gonna be a long time before we can roll this out in even the majority of schools properly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's not to say personal finance is unique in that regard, frankly. My, my major is in history, and do I believe history is taught well in most schools? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, frankly, I think probably math and English are, are two of the only topics that are even close to taught properly, and we're doing our best to mess those up most of the time. Um, but at least there's some pressure on people, and we generally try to make sure that we have very competent people involved with math and English. Uh, I, even science sometimes ends up uh, getting sacrificed on the altar of teachers unions, but that's another, another talk for another time. Uh, so <laughs> if I were a parent, I would definitely be uh, uh, teaching my students uh, or teaching my, um, my children, obviously, about personal finance. There's a lot of stuff. If they want to start at Chris Enza's site or Sandy's site or John's site, those are great sites uh, to start at and, and, just, and just work your way through some things. Now, if you want this taught in schools and, and in an education system, uh, now, this is, again, uh, you'll notice I'm not a shrinking violet with my opinions at this by this point, and if you tuned in in prior seasons, but there's only one way this will happen, and that's if intense pressure is put on provincial governments. Uh, not your MP, not the guy that goes to Ottawa, or the girl that goes to Ottawa. Talk to the person that goes 
to your provincial government. You're, in our case, it's an MLA, a member of the Legislative Assembly, Manitoba. And uh, just tell them, start a petition. Be like, no, it, this is ridiculous. It's unacceptable. And don't, do not, if they tell you that it is, um, that personal finance is layered throughout the curriculum, grab them and shake them. Uh, tell them, no, that's insane. Uh, and, and here's why. Because we don't have the subject area knowledge to teach it throughout every area. And those, and, and we're adding stuff into the curriculum. And I, I believe I've, I've talked with Sandy about this before. Um, we just, we, you know, like we talk about how in English, the example, there is an example in an Ontario document. I forget the name of the document right now, but I've looked this up for a podcast that was pre-Banerjee. And they talked about how they layered it in throughout the curriculum. They said that in English, if you got to Shakespeare and they said, neither a borrower nor lender be, that would be a great time to discuss personal finance. <laughs> I, I kid you not. And there's also a part that talks about how the dance curriculum, you can incorporate various different views and insights that could then be applied to personal finances. And that's how they were layering it throughout the curriculum in Ontario. And someone had spent a considerable amount of time on this document. And I just think that it's insane. Uh, even say by all, um, this person had enough time to do it, which they don't because they're already not getting through their curriculum. Uh, what person, how many people are there out there that have the subject area knowledge of Shakespeare and the subject area knowledge of a TFSA? Uh, you know, there's Chris Enns, but, but then, but then, you know, there's only so many times we can fly Chris Enns around Canada to teach this. So, uh, okay, you know, I'm what, available, what, but for, for, for a price. <laughs> He'll, he'll work for just the Shakespeare book he can take home after, actually. But, but uh, So anyway, what you need to do is ask specifically for a course. I agree. In a perfect world, it would absolutely be layered in, and all of us teachers would have a sound grounding in philosophy yeah. and history and math and personal finance, and we could all teach everything cohesively. But we don't. We're humans. We only went to school for five years, post-secondary school for four or five years. Uh, we have certain areas that we're capable of teaching well and competent in teaching, uh, we have certain areas that we go to professional development for to get better at teaching and talk to other teachers in our subject area specialties, especially at the high school level. And uh, it's not reasonable to expect that these people are going to know anything about the finer points of personal finance. And that's when students get bored and that's when they tune out and then they give it a bad name. And then they take tests and quizzes that say teaching about personal finance in schools doesn't work. So as a second best plan B, what we do is we, we have a hyper-focused approach where we, we bring in a credit. It can be introductory, it can be an elective at first, and we self-select teachers that are interested in this stuff and want to do it, and they're predominantly going to have a business background, I would expect. And what provinces really need to focus on is providing special detailed workshops uh, for these teachers and giving them the tools and resources that they need and that doesn't mean a textbook because there's textbooks out there and they're not very good, frankly, and they're not very dynamic and kids really don't use them very well these days anyway. So it doesn't mean handing them a textbook. It doesn't mean handing them a 500 page curriculum document that every teacher has that no teacher looks at. We just pretend to right for our job interview and it doesn't mean any of that. It means actually going into classrooms, going into schools and talking with eight business teachers at a time and giving them a sound grounding in personal finance that they can bring back to their students. That's what, that's the only way this will get done. You know what you can do if you're really interested in getting personal finance to your community, take this episode of because money and just send it to the principal, to the teachers, <laughs> to your MLA, highlight the minutes work.
just the last the last <laughs> 20 minutes of Kyle talking about this. And, you know, I, I don't know if anybody could say it better because I, I love that idea that it's just like we, we keep thinking about the students. And the truth is, is that it's based on this really flawed idea that as adults, we know how to deal with money. Mm. And that's just not the truth. The financial literacy stats come from adults. And the fact that even though there's this deep shame that so many adults feel that everybody else knows what they're doing and just I don't, that's not the truth. And so why would we expect the difference from teachers when, like you said, their study has been in other areas. You know, it's just because I watch basketball doesn't mean that I could coach a winning team. I can guarantee I can't, you know, it's, and, it, and, it, and it you actually watch basketball. Like teachers have not watched yeah, personal true. finance in any capacity. Um, yeah. So, and, and actually to that point, I've, I know I've talked to you guys before about this. I think teachers are actually uniquely non-qualified to teach personal finance. Uh, and the reason being that as a teacher, if you got a job at a young enough age, which is getting more and more difficult, uh, granted, but if you if you got a, a job teaching at a young enough age, you could just, if the only piece of personal finance you knew was just don't go into credit card debt, all you knew, you could retire at 60 and be just fine. You could live a perfectly fine financial life. And in fact, many teachers do exactly what I just said. And you know how I know that, Chris, is many of us get paid uh, for the months of uh, July and August in June, just because it makes the bookkeeping of the uh, of the school division relatively straightforward to do, and so we get paid for essentially three months worth of gross wages. We get paid all in June, and by September, the most common conversation in staff rooms. And my wife works in a separate school. I have friends throughout Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and a few in Ontario. And this is the case in all of our staff rooms. People's thing is, when am I going to get this check? Don't ask me for money this month. I don't have any money. And they have not budgeted for two months on a teacher's salary, which is probably, it's close to double the median salary in Canada, if, if not more than, depending where you are. So that's how I know t if we don't even, we can't even budget for two months yeah. on a three-month salary. Um, yeah. So, yeah, our insurance is taking care of for us. Our pension is, is, is taking care of for us. And so teachers actually are uniquely unqualified to teach personal finance if they don't have a personal interest in it. So you're saying the, the first step to, to really working on this problem is, is to teach the teachers is well, to good, provide good opportunities. Because to... teachers are great learners. We're great learners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, We're so receptive to find out that we don't know it all that we'll just tune right in for that. <laughs> please, please teach us all the things. We love it. Oh dear. Well, this is why financial literacy is a problem in Canada and around the world. Well, and by the and way, the people in charge of making these decisions to get them in are politicians who much like teachers have a pension plan or have insurance plans taking care of them are almost guaranteed to live a middle-class lifestyle. And they're the people in charge of making the laws. So like, think about like, you almost couldn't create a situation where you had more public demand for a product and less expertise and willpower to put it into place. Oh, golly. <laughs> That's Gosh, how it happens. Cause you're right, Chris, you started this episode on the premise of how could society want this? And you've heard it from everyone around you yeah. yet. It hasn't made its way into the curriculum. And this is how this totally. is, this is how that has happened. That's you know, like five minutes ago. I was really, just like super inspired and now I'm I'm a little I'm a little bummed out. It's November. <laughs> it's, it's, well the good news is we're making progress people. though. 
Yeah. And in a huge way, I can't, I can't tell you how impressed I am with, you know, if anybody's listening from this, really just kind of remember that example that Kyle said, which is one person, I'm not saying you're responsible for all of this. And maybe you are. Um, I'm willing to give you it. I'm going to say you're completely responsible for all of this. I've, I've met <laughs> I'm convinced. But like you, this is, you can't solve the whole thing, right? You know, start locally, work locally. Try just find these little ways that you can do things. And then the ball can really start rolling. The fact that that's available in Manitoba is going to give teachers that really want to do this, it's going to get, make it easier for the next teacher. They're not going to have to do what you did, you know, and they can pick up that curriculum and they can alter it if they want, or they can just have an idea. And maybe it changes some, um, some teachers who get assigned that gig. And as they start teaching it, you know, a few I've, things sink in. I've watched teachers come to, uh, to uh, illustrate the point that it has not even been close to solely me. Uh, there's, a, there's a great group of Saskatchewan teachers based out of Regina, and they've been putting on a great thing called a case competition now uh, for five years. And I've watched new teachers come to this case competition and watch these students show what they know now after taking a course in personal finance, and yeah. these people's jaws hit the floor. Uh, we have yeah. we have accountants that come. We have uh, CPAs that come. Um, we got uh, different types of financial advisors that come, and they're judges, and their jaws hit the floor when my students tell them, like, well, they should use the TFSA in this case because they'll be in a separate tax bracket when they hit retirement. And then we took the RSP refund, uh, and we reinvested it in our home buyer's plan that we were about to use. And they'll, they'll guide them through this plan that they're about to have, and their jaws hit the floor. And then they say, okay, what curriculum did you use? I want to start teaching that. And the next year they come back and now their team knows this stuff. And in just a few years, we've seen organic, totally organic growth. There's been no um, big government involvement in this. This has just been developed by the Saskatchewan Business Teachers Association. Uh, I'm hoping uh, that we're going to have one. It looks really promising that we're going to have one in Manitoba this year. And I truly believe that if everyone can swallow their egos on this and, and learn from the little brothers of Canada, of which admittedly there's not too many original ideas coming out of our, our uh, neck of the woods here on the prairies, but I think we could be the template for teaching personal finance going forward in Canada. I got the inspiration back. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, good. I'm feeling like really good about the world again. That's awesome. And that's probably a good place to wrap this up, even though I know we could talk about education for days and days and days. It's seriously, it's, it's one of the things that I think people get the most engaged on. You know, everybody's had experiences with it. Everybody has family. It just, it's such a, a passionate kind of, um, a, a source of uh, a, a passionate topic. Mm. So uh, we like to end the end the end the episodes with uh, with a segment that I'll let uh, John introduce and take away. Yeah. So we still have not named the segment, and at this point, it's just funnier to keep it as the unnamed yeah. segment. Nice. The segment that's anyway. named. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we have to be entertained too. Yeah. So the unnamed segment, it is all about what we've been reading this week and what we'd like to pass along. And this is sort of maybe a bit of a surprise for Kyle, but Kyle, do you have anything that you've been reading that you'd like to tell the readers about? I would just Listeners. like to say I've been reading for the, the past two years. Uh, if you have not checked out Chris Enz's blog, Rags to Reasonable, uh, and you are a, a millennial, especially in Canada, uh, you'll find no more engaging both through text through video and through uh, visuals of any kind than Chris ends. Uh, check, don't just check the latest one. Go back, go back into the archives. Uh, you'll be entertained by every article. There's not a ton of them. Chris hasn't been writing Bibles for years. There's a few of them. There's a few uh, 
few dozen, maybe a few hundred articles, and every one of them is excellent. Go and read Rags to Reasonable. Seconded. That's yeah. good. Oh, this is my favorite unnamed segment. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, actually, I was debating between two articles to mention, and one of them was a recent one by Chris uh, nice. about your money infrastructure and how it all flows. So that's great. Just You'll catch that as part of reading everything that Chris has done. <laughs> uh, so then I'll go with the other choice I had in my mind, which is actually a recent article by Kyle uh, all about withholding taxes. And he's actually got a great infographic that helps uh, explain that in a really clear way because this can be a pretty confusing topic for people. Cool. Yeah, and that graphic was made by Chris Enns, just so you know. For those of you that don't know, I, uh, I I don't know if Chris has revealed this on the podcast yet, but he has a similar humble Manitoba upbringing to me, and I know this is killing him. All this praise is just eating him up inside, and I'm loving it. It's it's great to watch in real time here. All right, Chris, uh, pass it along to someone else. And what what have you been reading? Well, I actually had a thought. I wasn't sure exactly what, what I was going to put forward. And, and when Kyle was talking about case studies, there's actually video of some of these case studies. Um, and we'll grab the link. I'm not sure exactly where they are. Kyle's got it. We'll grab the link and put it, put it underneath the, the cast. But you can watch these high school kids um, do these presentations. And it's, it's great. Like, it really is great to see them working through these problems. And it's also great to hear people just working through and, and kind of different people with a different kind of uh, life experience and at a different stage and how they think about these problems that, um, you know, we may have heard quite a few times, but because they're coming at it in a new way, um, I don't know, it's, it can be really, it's just really good. It's really worth taking a look at, even just to, in this conversation of fi financial literacy, see, to get inspired and, and, to, and to see that what Kyle's talking about is actually happening and, it's, and it really works. Cindy? And I have to say, I have been reading the diddly squat for, I would say, a good two weeks. I've been doing many things that have not involved reading. But when I was thinking about this today, I realized this isn't just a reading segment. It's like a other things. I remember sharing like an actuarial tool, one of the last times we did this. Um, and we were all at a conference. Now, whenever this is aired, I think actually this is slated to air in possibly December. Um, but we were all at a conference together and Bruce Celery spoke and I have heard him speak before. I've seen him on TV. I've read his stuff, but he was, the, he, I think he was the last speaker of this conference. And he, he, I mean, essentially it was, what do you want? And then what are you going to do to get it? And it was, and it's so easy. It sounds so easy. I, and so I was looking for some version of this, some kind of, I don't know, proto version of this before he turned it into like a paid gig as a speaker. But um, so I'm going to see if I can find it because it, it was, it was, it was really moving. I mean, I talk about that stuff all the time with people. Partly I was away from my kids. And so he put a picture of his daughter up and I was like, John is on one side of me and I'm over here. We're both like sobbing, but it was a really, <laughs> it was a beautiful, simple, really moving um, speech. And I will try and find it. And otherwise if I can't find it and it's not in the show notes, well, you missed it. <laughs> Sorry. You know, he does talk about those things in his first book in Mulala. Um, that's kind of how he starts it off. And there were some of the first questions that really um, had me started to think about personal finance in, in that kind of way too. But and he, he does lay it out. At least the first part of his book is in the same kind of realm. So people can read that. There you go. Chris saves the day. That's readable. <laughs> it's all about Chris. It's all about Chris. <laughs> yikes. Oh, yikes. 
<laughs> well, I'm going to end it there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.